Uh, thank you for joining us today. I'm Scott Schiff, hosting Atlas Society Senior Scholar Richard Salzman on Is Taxation Theft? Uh, we want to get your take as well. So after Richard's opening, uh, we'll bring you up. If you have questions, just feel free to raise your hand. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for doing this uh, kind of contentious issue, even within the liberty movement. So uh, is taxation theft? Thank you, Scott, and thank you also, uh, David Kelly, for uh, the prep associated with this uh, session. David and I were going to do this jointly, but for uh, various reasons, David could not join. So I thought I would go ahead with it anyway. I'll still do 90 minutes. I really think, and David and I have talked about this, I really think David and I should do this uh, version uh, 2.0, if you will, at some future date. But I didn't want to deprive people of the uh, the kind of fun stuff associated with this topic. So I thought I would go forward with it. I do have notes from David, and so I'll selectively quote them. But um, it's not the same thing as him being here. So we wish him well in recovering, and uh, we'll see him in the future. Uh, David and I have talked at length about this. And there, it's a fascinating, I think, topic because it involves not only philosophy, and moral theory and the nature of government and technical issues like public finance, taxation, borrowing, uh, money creation and things like that. I, uh, David obviously is a, a renowned objectivist philosopher. I am not a philosopher, I'm a political economist, but an objectivist for 40 years. And my specialty is public finance. In academia, my specialty is actually public finance. Now, public finance, so those who don't know, uh, public finance is how government is funded. And it's part of a broader uh, field called public economics. You probably haven't heard of that, but public economics studies the relationship between government and the economy, what role government should play in the economy. So you can see why how government is financed would be part of that, but the financing of government obviously is derivative of what the hell is it doing? Is it a small limited government of the kind that founders thought of in the constitution or is it a broad based socialist government or in something in between like we have today? Well, the financing needs and techniques are going to be different, aren't they? So, um, so just as a broader concept, that's uh, relevant. Here's the other thing. At Duke, I teach in the PP&E program. What is PP&E? P is philosophy. The second P is politics. And the third is econ. So the premise, very good premise, is that these are interrelated. I can't think of something more interrelated uh, than the idea of whether taxation is okay or whether it's theft. Because taxation is, by all accounts, even by foes and friends alike, the way to finance government. Taxation, let's just stipulate in the beginning, is the revenues of government. And government does get revenues, well, let's say resources from other means, other than taxation. And what are they? Borrowing and printing money. Now, by printing money, I mean only... That's not a capitalist setting. That's a central bank untethered to any kind of objective standard like the gold standard. But ability to print money, fiat money, fiat meaning force, without limit. 
So, uh, so again, the broader context here, taxation is one of the three ways government finances itself. But I would contend that it's all taxation. Because if you borrow, if a government borrows, how are they going to repay it? They ultimately have to repay it by taxing people. So it's deferred taxation. Borrowing is taxation deferred. And now what about inflation? What about government printing money? Not taking money from people, not borrowing money from people, but a monopoly Federal Reserve just issuing money when the government needs it. Well, if you know economics at all, you know supply demand that the excessive creation of money lowers the purchasing power of money. I've had sessions before on Clubhouse about inflation, so I won't rehash that. But the end result is higher prices paid by people in the marketplace, at the grocery store, at the gas pump. And there, they don't quite notice who the hell did that, who caused that. They'll blame the gas station owner. They'll blame the grocer. They don't know that these are the effects of government printing money, excessive amounts of money. And so when economists refer to the inflation tax, quote unquote, and often the cruelest tax of all, quote unquote, they're close to the truth. Inflation's a kind of tax. It makes you pay more for the goods and services you buy, but not because the grocers or the gas station attendants are exploiting you, but, but because the, the government has issued bad money. The government has issued too much money. So that's just as a general overarching kind of conception of public finance. Public finance is the way government is financed. And it's very, very different under a capitalist government uh, versus a welfare state government as we have today versus a socialist government. Now, if someone says to you, theft, you immediately think of, someone stole something from me. Premise one, I own that thing. The burglar or robber does not own the thing. It's an illegitimate taking. Uh, but notice all the deep, not to over complexify that, notice all the deep philosophic premises and theory associated with that. What is private property? How do you come to own it? Uh, only then can you say, well, someone took it from me and it's illegitimate. What is meant by illegitimate, illegitimate or improper? We start coming into things like morality. So you, you see, and, 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 and since taxation funds government, it, it's impossible to analyze this without knowing a bit of philosophy, a bit, a bit of political theory and economics. Now, let me give you a little bigger context and then I'll get to objectivism and why, and the libertarianism and anarchism, it's really relevant here and the broader context. In the 18, oh, I haven't looked this up recently, but I'm guessing the 1850s, the socialist Frenchman, Pierre Proudhon, wrote a book called Property is Theft. <laughs> yeah. Okay, not to analyze that, but you get the idea. And Marx was influenced by it. 
there's no way that private property is real, earned, deserved. This is a leveraging off of guess who? Rousseau. Property is theft. Property is never earned. It's just stolen from, I don't know, whatever, the disadvantaged, the exploited laborer. Why do I bring that up? Because in my study of the history of this, taxation is theft as a phrase totally mirrors Proudhon. These were initially anarchists who hated Proudhon. Proudhon was like a semi-anarchist. And they wanted to like, they wanted to come back to <laughs> They wanted to come back that said, ah, ah, you think, uh, you think property is theft? Uh, taxation is theft. You see the, you see the beginnings of a kind of almost childish, Says you, says I, you says property is theft. I says taxation is theft. So the origin of the phrase, it's very interesting. You fast forward a hundred years to a guy named Chodorov, Frank Chodorov. In 1947, wrote a book called Taxation is Robbery. Let's look it up. It, it doesn't say taxation is theft. That's close enough, though, isn't it? Taxation is robbery. Okay. Uh, you can go read that book. I'm not going to summarize it for you. I just wanted to, I always love in these sessions indicating where am I getting my sources? What, what am I citing? What am I looking at? You got to read. It's easy to find on the internet. Taxation is robbery, 1947. Chodorov, Frank Chodorov. About seven years later, the income tax, root of all evil. <laughs> 1954. Now let's get to why we're here tonight, because I'm with the Atlas Society, and we love Ayn Rand, and we love her theories and philosophies. Very interestingly, in February of 1964, in the Objectivist Newsletter, under a series called Intellectual Ammunition Department. I love that, the intellectual. They would take questions from uh, subscribers. And the question was, how do you finance government in a free society? So interestingly, uh, in 1964, Ayn Rand took on that challenge and in the newsletter answered the question tried to answer the question. Interestingly, it wasn't given to uh, Greenspan. Uh, Brandon, I mentioned Greenspan because he was an economist. So you might think this question would be delegated, me, to an objectivist economist. Uh, I don't know the background entirely to this, but the fact is Ayn Rand answered the question, not uh, Alan Greenspan or anybody else. And it was a very interesting answer. And I've checked, by the way, I've checked the correspondence between the language used in the actual newsletter and then the reprint of it in The Virtue of Selfishness, a compilation of essays published in 1964, the same year as the financing essay occurred. And, you know, when you look back at Ayn Rand's um, uh, publications, it's clearly something that should have gone into capitalism and the unknown ideal. 
It really does not belong in the virtue of selfishness. Virtue of selfishness pertains to, as you know, ethics. And capitalism, the unknown ideal, is the application of ethics to political economy. Well, certainly the issue of financing government belongs in political economy. But that's, okay, maybe that's a bit of quibbling. But I'm only suggesting here that this might have been a premature effort on Ayn Rand's part to answer something that she might not have been fully equipped to answer. Because my contention tonight is that it's a not very good answer. It's a bad answer. It's a contradictory answer. It's a, I don't, would I go so far as to say it's an embarrassing? It's, it's a bit embarrassing. And that wasn't my first take when I read it. When did I first read it? In the late 70s. So I read it first in 1979 when it was 15 years old. But that was 25 years ago. It's not a good answer. And my basic theme tonight is something like this, that since, and she would agree with this, since anarchism is wrong, since the argument for no government is wrong, put another way, since government is necessary, which she argued, so I'm not disagreeing there, and and that's to be more clear about it, a necessary good, <laughs> not a necessary evil as is sometimes conveyed by, you know, the Jeffersonians. Well, okay, premise one, government is necessary. For what? For the protection of individual rights. Okay, that's the purpose. Conducted by what functions? Uh, Courts, police, military. Wow, because now we're concretizing uh, the purpose into functions. Well, that isn't platonic. It requires funding. It requires financing. And if we stipulate, I think as all sides do, taxation is simply the word for financing government. So we need we needn't quibble about what the hell the word means. Taxation means government revenues, means of sustenance for government. And then the debates, of course, occur around is it proper? Is it necessary? Should it be voluntary? Should it be involuntary? I, I hope to not just devote tonight to just, is it theft or not? Is it legitimate or not? But when we move beyond that, if you're interested in questions like, well, if it is legitimate, what kinds of taxation? What sorts of taxation? Where are we going with taxation? Which is probably the more relevant and practical issue, but I do want to spend some time on this very interesting philosophic, political issue of the basics of what the hell are we doing? Should there be any at all? Any taxation at all? Uh, My third premise, um, taxes being simply a name for government revenues, taxes are required, but they're required only to fund legitimate government functions. And here's another premise. Taxation is theft only. Hear my my qualifier here. This is my contention. I'm not speaking for David, by the way. I'm not speaking for Ayn Rand or anyone else. Only to the extent it funds um, rights-violating government. 
That's when it's theft. That's when it's improper. But then the underlying theft is really the theft of rights, not the funding mechanism. It's the idea that government itself is engaged in a form of that. It's a criminal. They're funding a criminal. They're funding an illegitimate government that's not doing what Ayn Rand and all of us believe it should be doing, defending individual rights. But, th but think about it. That implies that taxes should be justified for a truly limited rights-respecting government. And here's, here's the real rub. In Ayn Rand's essay on how to finance government in a free society, she argued for, there's a little uh, equivocation here in some of the essay, but fair to say, she argued for voluntary taxation. She thought that involuntary taxation, now the premise here is, the context here is for a legitimate government. She's not talking about illegitimate government. She's saying even in the case of a free society, and her phraseology, by the way, interestingly, is fully free society. So it's a very extreme, not to say extreme is bad, but a very strict standard. This is not just the free society, fully free. She said uh, no involuntary taxation. Implication, taxation would be theft involuntary taxation would be theft. She didn't actually use the phrase. She never said taxation is theft. She does clearly though say in that essay that involuntary taxation is improper. And then there's some, so, but, and again, but why? She thinks that taxation per se, not any kind of taxation, not any kind of taxation related to what the government's doing is per se by in essence, the initiation of force. And I don't have to tell this audience that the initiation of force is an evil, especially when done by especially when done by government. So, so if government is doing it, it's like super, uh, super evil. And the question is whether that's true or not. And um, there's a paradox. Here's the paradox: government is necessary to protect individual rights. Uh, point one. Point two, government is not some platonic entity. It is a real thing requiring real source resources to carry out its real functions called courts, military, and police. These things are not funded uh, with no resources. But she believes that in the, again, quote, fully free society, there'll be more than enough voluntary contributions to support this. Now, her further view is if there are not a sufficient voluntary contributions, so what? But she didn't say it that way, but her view basically is it's possible that some people won't contribute. And her view is, so what? They shouldn't be forced to contribute. They benefit, as she puts it, if you look closely at the essay, they benefit indirectly from those who do contribute and this is part and parcel of a free market society, of a free society. Now, think of part of the benevolence of what Ayn Rand is talking about, which is really kind of cute. The cute benevolence is, if we ever achieved a fully free society, I mean, imagine that, to the objective is ear. That <laughs> sounds like a society of rational, benevolent, just, fair people. Of course they would fully voluntarily finance
this very wonderful government. So moving out of the context of today, namely, lots of people from all parts of the political spectrum hate the government. They hate the government. They don't want to fund the government or they only want to selectively fund the government and they want to evade taxes and taxes are a burden. No, no, no. In Ayn Rand's world of a fully free society and, and not, a, uh, not a crazy, improbable world, why wouldn't people fund this wonderful government? All right. Now, here's my take. Um, before I give you my take, though, let me just say this essay stood this essay by Rand in 1964, which showed up in the uh, uh, the virtue of self in this kind of stood on its own quietly, like undis- <laughs> undiscussed and unexamined and uncriticized for many, many years, which is interesting. Because from 1964 until it was begun to be discussed, which is like in the mid-90s, about 30 years later, um, it, it kind of leveraged off of her view, which was, guess what her view was? This isn't really very important. She actually says in the essay, for those interested in the free society, this is the last thing. She explicitly says this. This is the last thing to worry about. The first thing to worry about is, of course, scaling back the size and scope and power of government. And so she has a very interesting uh, theory of public finance, namely, and there's some truth to this, actually. It's a derivative uh, thing. It's a thing that arises after we've all decided what, what the size and scope of government is. Because if you look at the original American system, I mean, what was the major financing source for the very restricted, constitutionally limited government of, I don't know, 1789 until 1889. And and for those of you who know, the answer is tariffs. That's it. Tar- what are tariffs? Taxes on imports. That was it. If you look at 90% of government, federal government revenues were from ta- tariffs, which are taxes on imports. And interestingly, tied to what are imports well they kind of come they come from other countries but they also require a u.s navy and a kind of coast guard and <clears throat> some infrastructure you know ports and, and, and things in other words where the revenues would go toward facilitating trade ensuring uh trade routes were safe from uh pirates and others right so there was a direct there was not only very limited government taxation, there was a tie to, this is for a certain purpose, which is rational. We're not redistributing income. We're not robbing Peter to pay Paul. We're, we're charging tariffs on imports because that requires an infrastructure and that's what government will spend its money doing, right? So, so that is something, you know, Ayn Rand would say that, that makes perfect sense, right? You know, fast forward to the New Deal and the Great Society, and Obamacare, and the whole massive redistributed welfare state. Well, now government is taxing not to provide legitimate government services, police, courts, and military, because that might be maybe like one-tenth of current spending. But they're spending 10 times as much on all sorts of goofy and irrational and unjust things but mainly the redistribution of wealth, totally unjustified. 
Well, I think in 1964, Ayn Rand's thinking, she's not really thinking in terms of taxation as legitimate revenues for legitimate government. She's not thinking of it that way. That's the way I think of it. That's the way I think it should be done. But notice leveraging off of her view of what legitimate government is. No, she's more thinking of it in terms of, I'm going to classify taxation as the initiation of force, premise one. Premise two, the initiation of force is evil and wrong. Conclusion, QED, therefore taxation is evil. Therefore, mandatory taxation is evil. And um, it's, it's the second part of that premise that that's wrong in my view. Involuntary taxation, you could say, is a redundancy, is the way I would put it. And her view, voluntary taxation, I would contend, is a contradiction in terms. And not to be too um, crisp about this, but she very astutely identified a fallacy called the stolen concept, which she's to be credited for in philosophy. What is the stolen concept? Um, advocating or pushing a particular concept while denying its underlying roots. And now here I think the problem is she's trying to advocate a government. And remember her government is a monopoly. It's not, she's against competing governments. She's against the libertarian view of competing government. It's a as she put it, a monopoly on the legal use of force, legal meaning retaliatory use of force, in a certain um, geographic setting. So, all, <coughs> so already that is quite a high standard. Most economists uh, oppose monopolies, right, as dangerous, potentially exploitative. <coughs> Ayn Rand's view is, no, there should be a monopoly. It should be, a, and not just of a business, of a, of a government with a legal monopoly on the use of force. Wow. Well, of course, Ayn Rand's view is it better damn well be constitutionally limited because this thing could be crazy dangerous and it could slaughter millions. And, and she knew that better than anyone. And But here's the paradox. How do you fund this thing? And the, and the paradox of the puzzle seems to be something like, can you violate rights to fund this thing? And her view was, of course not. But to her, violating meant making people pay, making people pay for government as in the initiation of force. So I believe that's why she came to the view, she had to come to the view, that this really needs to be voluntary. And I think it's incoherent. It's absolutely incoherent. Not that people would not, in a limited government setting, in a more rational setting, maybe voluntarily contribute to the government. But the idea that that would be sufficient to cover the government seems implausible, infeasible. And um, that is exactly what in the mid-90s and late 90s led to, interestingly, a flurry of now mostly forgotten objectivist essays about exactly this issue in places like, well, some of them are like defunct, sadly, full context. It was a journal, an objectivist journal that published uh, essays, really good ones, but it's hard, it's, it's out of print. It's been out of print for years and it's difficult to find. 
Now more available to find is the essays in um, the Journal of Ayn Rand Studies, or I'll refer to as JARS. The Journal of Ayn Rand Studies started in the late 90s and uh, just actually finished up uh, a year ago. So it's, it's, it's also closed, but at least it was around for 23 years. And in the late 90s and early 20s, there was a flurry of discussion and debate about Ayn Rand's theory of government finance. And some libertarian anarchists waved in, weighed in, namely Larry Seacrest, and argued things like, well, Ayn Rand is wrong because government is wrong. So we needn't talk about voluntary or involuntary financing or the way some taxes are better than others. The whole project of justifying objectively limited government is wrong. So I'm going to argue against any time of any kind of financing of government. But the more interesting, and I have to confess, I, I, I myself only learned about this. This might surprise you. I only learned about this in the last three months that my own position was being that which I developed, I don't know, about six or seven years ago, that mandatory um, taxation was legitimate, morally legitimate. I'll, I'll expand in a moment. But, but this argument, David Kelly told me and others alerted me because I just wasn't following it at the time, was argued in the late 90s. Well, actually starting in the mid 90s by uh, Murray Frank, F-R-A-N-C-K. Um, unfortunately, uh, not with us anymore, deceased. But he was the first, Murray Frank, was the first to suggest that Ayn Rand was wrong. But he was an objectivist who defended Ayn Rand's conception of the limited government. And the first one from 1994 in full context was basically an argument that said taxation is moral. That was the name of it. Taxation is moral. And his view was not that government can do just whatever the hell it wants. It was that if a government, big stipulation here, the same one I would make, if a government is legitimate in the objectivist sense, Premise one. Premise two. And we are not Platonists. We recognize that it requires funding for these very important functions. Then the question is how to get that funding. And although it's possible that some of that funding might be voluntary, there is a problem associated with what's called free riders or more derogatorily freeloaders people who expect to get these services but don't pay. And Ayn Rand's view was don't make them pay. And my view, and it turns out uh, I had a precursor to this, so I'm giving him credit, Murray Frank's view was no, they should be compelled to pay. But in compelling them to pay, it was not an initiation of force. So in other words, they should pay, they should not be moochers using Ayn Rand's phrase now, they should not expect something for nothing, and not just something for nothing, something so crucially important as the vehicle for protecting our rights, and should be made to pay but without violating their rights. I thought of this about seven or eight years ago when I first started thinking about it, but I had no idea 
that Murray Frank had been writing substantially the same thing. I mean, we disagree on some small things, but starting in 1994. And now once he argued that, and by the way, the precursor to this was saw a student named Peter St. Andre, Peter in that same journal, full context, had argued uh, for taxation, but what he called choice-based taxation, which I don't really agree with. But Peter, uh, interestingly, Peter uh, was a student at the uh, at a school and an objectivist school in New York, at, who I met years ago. It turns out that Peter, you know, started writing essays, and that's what instigated this whole thing. Peter wrote an essay in full context, saying, examining Ayn Rand's view of taxation, and saying, "Well, um, maybe it shouldn't be totally voluntary, and and me, <clears throat> maybe." <clears throat> It should be mandatory in some way. But the way out of this dilemma is to have what he called choice-based taxation. And choice-based taxation was something like this. You got your income tax statement from the IRS, and there was like an itemized list of things governments spend money on. And Peter's idea was you choose what to allocate your taxes to. I don't like the Defense Department, but I like the EPA. Or I like the EPA, but I don't like the Energy Department. So so Peter's view was the way out of this, quote, dilemma, the dilemma of, oh, my God, my taxes are, I, I have to pay them. I wonder if we can introduce a little choice in this mix. It kind of sounds like school choice, doesn't it? Where the government is still owning and operating the schools, but they might let the parents decide you know, whether the kids move to this school or that school. And and so that was Peter. Anyway, I, I want to cite Peter St. Andre because if you look up on the internet, Peter St. Andre and Ayn Rand and taxation, there's some really interesting essays from Peter. But that, to credit Peter, Peter was the one who launched this interest from Murray Frank and then from Larry Sechrist and others and there was this flurry of very interesting back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between objectivists, semi-objectivists, libertarians, anarchist libertarians on the whole issue of funding the government. Okay. Um, let me wind up a little bit here and open it up for um, questions. Um, about eight or nine years ago, I was asked by an objectivist philosopher to give my thoughts on taxation because of this controversy. But then also somebody asked me to comment on, so I thought I would read this into the record because it's so interesting. What do you think of your own Brooks view of taxation? So someone sent me a link. Now, this is from April 2015. And here's the citation. And interestingly, the answer I gave to your own in an email after that. So here's what Jerome Brook was quoted as saying. Tax, and this is echoing Ayn Rand. And by the way, echoing also Craig Biddle, who in 2012, when I was, when I myself was a contributing editor of the Objectivist Standard, basically wrote an essay confirming and extending Ayn Rand's argument for a completely voluntary financing of government. So I want to put that on the record as well. It's something I didn't agree with at the time, 
but Biddle published it nonetheless. Summer 2012, if you want to look it up, how would government be funded in a free society? But about three years later, Yaron said the following, quote, in a blog talk radio, taxes are inherently theft. It doesn't matter whether their aim is incentivizing me to lose weight or gain weight or to get me not to smoke or just taking my income because we've decided my money can be better used by other people somewhere else or even for legitimate causes like taking my money away so we can use it for the police and military, which is a legitimate use of money. I'm still quoting here now. Always, because they involve force and aren't voluntary, taxes are always theft. That's the context in which we need to approach taxation. It's always theft. There are no, quote, good taxes, no, quote, right level of taxation, any more than there's a, quote, right level of theft. There are no, quote, I'm quoting here because he did it this way, positive taxes and no, quote, better taxes than other taxes. It's not okay to steal from somebody if you're stealing off of their consumption, but wrong to steal off their income, unquote. Now, I'm just quoting from my, I had an exchange with Yaron at the time, so this might be interesting. I don't think I'm uh, telling anything out of school. So I wrote Yaron at the time. Yaron, quote, I think this isn't the right way to go about it. I believe the word taxes should be reserved for, quote, payments to the government. And then the question should be whether taxes are legitimate or not. And the legitimacy derives not from whether they're paid, quote, voluntarily or not, but whether they're levied in an equal manner and for legitimate government services rendered, uh, i.e. services which protect individual uh, rights. Um, See below, more than a week ago, in an email answer to a question I got from I won't name the person, uh, fill in the blank, asking me about financing in a free society, but it was an objectivist professor. Quote, I defended the principle of proper taxation. So just as we shouldn't try to stop bad government by opposing government per se, which is anarchism, we shouldn't stop bad taxation by opposing taxation per se. Let me know what you think. Um, he didn't let me know what he thought. In conclusion, let me just suggest, um, my theme and my argument is, and, and I really welcome a future 2.0 on this where David Kelly and I will, so I don't want to speak for him though. Um, taxation is the financing of government. Government is legitimate if it protects individual rights. The financing of government is legitimate only to the extent that it funds a rights-respecting government. Government, Taxation is theft, here's my concession, to the extent it funds a thieving government. But not all governments are thieving. Not all states are statist. 
we aren't anarchists, as objectivists we're not. I do believe that the argument that taxation is theft, unfortunately, goes hand in hand with the anarchist argument. It literally is the view that there cannot be any legitimate, constitutionally limited government. Therefore, the financing of any government is per se illegitimate, per se. This is a robbing, thieving thing. Not any particular government, but government per se, according to the anarchist, is a, a vicious, violating thing. Therefore, taxation is theft. I'm, wor I'm no, I worried is too passable word. I'm now, by years of this, convinced that the if there's an objectivist quote unquote view that taxation is theft, it is in line with the anarchist argument. It is it is part and parcel and aiding and abetting uh, an anarchist view of government. And we should be no part of that. We should not be anarchists. We should not be presuming that government is a thief. We, we above all, are the ones who say we know how to delineate and circumscribe government so as to not be a thief. It is not necessarily a thief. There is nothing about government is a necessary evil. Is that what Jefferson said? Or, no, it isn't. It's a necessary good. It's totally necessary and can be made good and it requires financing. And those who refuse to pay for such a government are themselves thieves. The, the real thieves are the ones who, living under a perfectly legitimate government, which again was Ayn Rand's context, and then refuse to pay, are moochers, are parasites, are thieves and shouldn't be allowed to get away with it. And I'm using, I think here, objectivist terminology, a little heat here, not just light, to say this and saying, in effect, that that would be the more consistent objectivist position that Iron Man should have taken. Unabashedly, defending rights, defending government that, that defends rights. And we can, as I said, we can leave for lots of discussion tonight. What does that mean? Even the lowliest, poorest person, what do they have to pay? According to Salzman, they have to pay something. Okay, what? And what's by what standards? And uh, the two, by the way, the two main ones, which Ayn Rand negotiates, she has both of these in the essay, which is very odd. One of them is called the benefits principle. And one of them is called the ability to pay principle. These are the two... If you don't know this, these are two principles in taxation. There's many others, but those are two very philosophical principles in taxation. And the benefits principle is the idea of you should pay for the services you use. That is very close no, notice to the market principle. You can't go into a grocery store and take stuff and not pay, right? The government would uh, prosecute you. So why should you be able to do that with government services? So the benefits principle is the idea of to the extent you benefit from government services, again, legitimate government, you should pay. You shouldn't be a freeloader. And you also should, however, not pay for services you're not using. Like today, everybody pays for public schools, right? Well, you don't send all your, you don't send your kid to public schools, say. Why are you paying for this? 
Now, the uh, ability to pay principle is the idea of, well, if you're wealthy enough and can afford it and or engage in more economic activity than other people, then you should pay for government services more than others do. Why? Well, but what are these services? Police, courts, national defense. The argument is wealthy people and companies need more than anyone else the protection of the Pentagon the protection of the courts. Why? Because they have a bunch of contracts. They have, they have millions and billions at stake. And uh, they're using these government services to an excessive extent. Well, not an excessive, but to a much greater extent. Right? And, and here's the key. They have the ability to pay. Now, if you look at Ayn Rand's essay, she has both of them in there. She has lotteries as a way to raise funds for government voluntarily, but she also has the idea of paying fees to make sure courts uh, adjudicate your disputes or not. Now, and her view is if you don't pay the fees, they won't adjudicate your disputes. Wow. Uh, extend this to someone who says, I'm not going to pay taxes. So the police have to figure out when there's a domestic dispute, when they come to the neighborhood, uh, they have to figure out uh, who paid and who didn't pay. Uh, because if they didn't pay, we're not going to protect them. Uh, but then if in the altercation, one of them paid and one of them didn't pay. I mean, Ayn Rand does not go into this, but that's what her theory implies. It, it implies that, that government should only provide services to those people who voluntarily pay. I contend that that would be as chaotic and as ridiculous as anarchism, which she also... Uh, ridicules, as you know, properly ridicules. But she just didn't think this through very well. But the idea that ability to pay in there is very interesting because we know in other contexts she refuted the Marxist argument that uh, from each according to his ability to each according to his need in the critique in Atlas Shrug of the 20th century motor company, she specifically uh, hones in on that outrageous Marxist distribution theory of who should get paid what. Well, based on their ability, you pay into the pool. Based on your need, you take out. And yet she has that ability to pay principle in her public finance essay called How to Finance a Free Society. So um, lots of complications here. I think lots of things to dig into. Um, we are we far away from financing the what Ayn Rand called the fully free society? Of course, of course, because we're so far away from capitalism. But I think still fundamentally, this is a philosophically very interesting topic because it brings out a whole bunch of things about the nature of government, anarchism versus minarchism. Minarchism is just limited government of the of the kind Ayn and Robert Nozick and others have advocated. And, and more importantly, uh, the size and scope of government and how to finance it. So I'll leave it there. I know I went over a bit along, but um, I'm also here for 90 minutes. So, Scott, I think we're left with at least uh, 45 minutes more of, of interest. Yes. yes, and it's a fascinating take. Just as a kind of corollary before we go to Buddha, I'm just... Would you say, even though you disagree with anarchists uh, or, and that Rand did, would you say that they're being more consistent in a way to hold that position because they don't see government as legitimate? So, you know, why fund it? No, I think you can say that. No, I think there's nothing wrong with saying, of course, someone who believes 
that no government is legitimate would not endorse any kind of taxation, voluntary or otherwise. But that just goes back to my original point that I don't think any of us disagree that this is the word for funding government. So yes, I think that uh, I think you're right. If that's what you're getting at, Scott. Uh, but if by consistent you mean you know logically adhering to reality, I would say no, because the anarchists. So separately, the anarchist argument for no government is unsustainable. That's not what this session's about. That's not what we're arguing here tonight. But if we can just stipulate that that's wrong, then we're in the realm of saying, okay, we have government. How should we fund it? And so this issue of is taxation theft? Yes, I did want to bring up the idea of I think the question comes from anarchists. I mean, I think the reason it's an issue, I think the reason it comes up in that form is that the implicit the smuggled premise, if you will, is of course it's theft because government is a thieving entity, right? I shouldn't say right. And the objectivist view is not necessarily. <laughs> now, now, she actually said, well, actually, I hate to say it, but the long history of government <laughs> is it's a thieving, disgusting, exploitative entity. But this is, again, a separate argument. If you can say to the anarchists, and I, as I have, uh, there are, to our civilized credit, America, Britain, the U.S., U.K., in the uh, 19th century especially, examples of government behaving itself. Not perfectly, not fully, as Ayn Rand put it, but uh, the anarchist argument that it's impossible to conceive of a state that behaves itself, I would say more accurately, it's impossible to come up with historical examples of anarchies that have worked. But um, I don't know if I got to your point um, yeah, no, I, Scott, I was but, just uh, drawing out some of the implications yeah. of what you were saying. It's great. I appreciate it. Uh, we want to invite others to come up to the stage. Uh, we want to let uh, Buddha thank you for your patience and uh, go ahead and ask your question. You'll have to unmute. There's a microphone button at the bottom right. I don't know if you're sometimes there's an issue with it and you have to leave and come back. But uh, while we're waiting, why don't we go to Dan? Dan, thanks for joining. Do you have a question for Richard? Yeah, um, I, well, a couple comments, actually. So um, interesting take. Um, thanks, I, I think there's, I, so I agree. There was, there was one point you were saying with like, um, sorry, there's, there's so much. I, I can't remember exactly what you were saying, but to the extent of like, what is, what is taxation, right? Like, because yeah. ultimately yeah. it's just a word that can mean a million different things to a million different people. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think, um, you know, anarchy government, like these are all words that can, um, essentially be the same. They can mean different things to different people. Um, one anarchist might say, you know, private police is not government and therefore it's, yeah. um, it's anarchy. Another anarchist yeah. might just say, well, as long as we're not being ruled over. So, courts are fine as long as they're not ruling over us. Um, but I think um, to the point about uh, you were just making about um, the possibility of a government existing um, that is not feeding or whether or not that's possible. 
Um, I, I think what what's interesting to me is the question of when it becomes thieving. Yeah. How do you how do you take your power back, right? Because let's say let's say you have a restaurant, right? You go to this restaurant, and they're spitting in your food. They're you know they're serving up moldy food and everything else. Yeah. At some point, you can say, "I'm not going to pay for this. I'm going to leave. I'm going to eat somewhere else." But if you accept that everybody must pay to a government because the government is good, then yeah. at what point when the government becomes corrupt, are people able to say, "Hey, it's it's corrupt and it's thieving now, and now I have a right to stop paying"? Um, if you accept as an inherent um, fact that everybody must pay. Really good question. And the first thing I wanted to say, Dan, really profound question. First thing I wanted to say was my interpretation might be uh, portrayed as someone by saying people should pay taxes uh, to flip to the current context and say, well, people should pay taxes today to Leviathan, to this disgusting thieving, which I would even agree, <laughs> um, Dan, kind of government. No, no, my context here is in a fully free society, as Ayn Rand put it. And th what I'm saying is, and I think it is different from the objectivist position and different from the anarchist position, is um, they should pay and they should be compelled to pay without it being characterized as government's initiating force against them. No, they're not. They're preventing people from thieving they're preventing people from free riding or freeloading, however you want to put it. And Ayn Rand was against mooching. She was against mooching as well as looting. And objectivists don't quite emphasize the mooching. The mooching part is, I'm going to get something for nothing. That's improper. It's not only immoral. And here's, here's where I differ. It should be illegal when it, when it comes to financing legitimate government. Now, Dan, I would say in answer to your question more directly, kind of like what to do when we don't have a fully free society, but instead Leviathan, there's a long history of tax revolts. There's a long history of other kind of revolts and, of course, revolutions. I think the whole January 6th thing, frankly, is a more recent example of what the hell do you do when a broad uh, part of the populace is upset with, disenchanted with, pissed off about what government is doing? Um, and so, uh, but that actually, interestingly, on the issue of taxes has already happened because guess what? The gargantuan welfare state keeps chugging along and at every new crisis from Y2K in 99 to, um, 9-11 to the financial crisis of 08 to COVID in 2020, we get one thing after another where the government spends massive amounts of money and issues massive amounts of debt, and they're not really taxing people. People are unwilling, it's been shown in public finance, to pay fully for the taxes necessary to support today's gargantuan government. That's very interesting. It's also a, a, a explanation of why, of why the government has had to resort to these alternative methods, namely, we need to print money and borrow money. Because if we tell people they're gonna be taxed for all this, we're gonna be thrown out of office. So there's a bias, there's in democracy, an unlimited democracy, there's like a fiscal bias toward deficit spending. Because people, there's a sense that politicians have, people are gonna have a tax revolt if we tax them too much. So we won't tax them. That's what modern monetary theory is. Modern, uh, uh, 
Stephanie uh, Kelton's running around saying, you don't have to tax people. Just print money and borrow money. And there'll be no inflationary effect. We talked about this in a prior uh, clubhouse, right, Scott? Modern monetary theory, how crazy it is. But their view is, uh, just print money, borrow money. In the first case, it won't cause inflation. Uh, in the second case, it won't cause high interest rates. This will. This is brilliant. She was the advisor to Bernie Sanders, of course. This is brilliant. We'll have uh, all sorts of uh, gargantuan government spending without any negatory, without any negative effects. Um, but but there's no other way, Dan. I think to revolt against Leviathan, if you will, you could do it by tax revolts. But if you, as you know, if you do it by you know not paying your taxes, you'll be in jail. So tax evasion versus tax avoidance. Tax avoidance, meaning minimize your tax, is is legal. Tax evasion is not. It's a very difficult issue. And if, if an objectivist or a libertarian says to you, well, we need education, we need to somehow convince the broader population not to be demanding such big government, that seems so far-fetched and so implausible. It, it might work, but it will take decades. It's not very inspiring to people. So. But Dan, do you have a, Dan, what is your favorite method of fighting Leviathan? Physically? Yeah, well, my, my favorite is not paying taxes, um, which that's, that's a whole other, that's a whole yeah. other discussion about how to legally yeah. not pay taxes. But, yeah. um, but so, so it's interesting because um, like, like, yeah, you know, tax revolution and everything, but how's that working out for the January 6th, right? Like, Right. Like, right. like ultimately, you know, they say the government is supposed to be there to protect the rights of the minority because ultimately the majority never need their rights to be protected from the minority because they're, right. they're outnumbered. Yes. Right. Um, but if, you know, if, if, if the minority are being robbed, then, yeah. you know, you, you kind of come back to that situation of the restaurant, right? If they're, you know, if there's only two customers who are being, um, you know, their food is being spit in, well, you know, if, if all the other customers say, hey, you know what? you have to keep eating here because our food is fine. We don't have a problem. And therefore you have to keep spending your money here and you have to keep eating the food. Then yeah. that's, that's criminal versus, you know, just, you know, okay, fine. You guys want to stay here and eat food, do it, but we're going to leave because we're not being treated right. And of course, you know, like you said, if, um, for most people, if they try to stop paying taxes, that's when, um, that's when the government comes down and says, Hey, you know, you guys are criminals now and we're going to take you to jail and we're going to take everything you know, by force. And, and I think that's ultimately the, the question of, is it theft? Because, you know, if somebody walks into a bank with a gun and says, um, would you be so nice as to put all the money in the bag? You know, the question is, well, what happens if I don't? And, and, you know, that's what makes it theft, right? If, if they were to simply say no, and then the robber would say, okay, nice, you know, have a nice day and, and leave, you know, maybe that's not theft. But if he stays there and says, well, if you don't, I'm going to shoot you, um, you know, and, and do you really want to find out if I'm telling the truth? You know, that's that's exactly how taxes work. So um, the idea is that if you don't pay, um, you're, it's going to be taken by force. And so yeah. so absolutely yeah, like, in that way, it's always theft. I do yeah. want to get some others in here. Thank you for that. Uh, Connie, thanks, thanks for joining. Well, thank you for having me as always. And Dr. Richard, I, um, I had emailed you, so I'm not sure if I went to spam or not, but I also um, put some stuff in your direct message here, so oh, just great. prefacing with check that, because I've got some things coming up here. I will, Connie. I don't, I, the, the last thing in the world I want is for you to be spammed. Oh, I'm sorry, but okay, I'll check. I'll look. 
I promise. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay. And um, that being said, it was just some upcoming stuff that we wanted to extend an invitation to, but that's okay. not what you're here. I was just pointing it out. Like, I'm Okay, great, sure. great. Um, actually, it, it was very interesting, your answers to um, Dan. Well, Dan's name, he declared it is Dan taxation is theft Berman. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, uh, I've been uh, working um, and trying to uh, read a, his book on that topic. So, um, so it was really interesting. I was glad that Dan got here. Um, I was wondering what, um, And now I just completely lost it. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Come on, come I, on back to me. Go ahead and go to Dan. Right. Okay, Connie, nice. I do that all the time. So don't uh, don't apologize. I just wanted to say to Dan and Connie, you know, I look at my question, is taxation theft? Um, you know, my simple answer is, it depends. I hate, to, I hate to use that. It depends. If it is theft, if it's financing a thief, but what I want to caution libertarians and others, objectivists and others to consider is um, if you have a government that is not a thief, it should be fully financed and no one should be getting away with mooching. That is where my, my position is very different. I, on the one hand, I'm different because I believe government should exist. So I'm already off the anarchist uh, bus, right? But right. Within, okay, so, but then within, <laughs> Connie, you know, the, within the bus called minarchy, limited government, I'm off the bus of objectivists who say there should only be voluntary taxation. And apparently me and Murray Frank and, I don't know, like two other people, it's very weird. I don't usually like to be in such a minority, but I don't really care, believe that if it's a legitimate government, then all taxation is legitimate and there should be no freeloaders. Now, the issue, by the way, of whether, uh, okay, you've got a billionaire and a poor person. H how would Salzman and Frank propose that they contribute? The bare minimum thing is something like a poll tax. That is usually considered very nasty. A poll tax is just, poll means head, per head. Like if you said, everyone should pay $100. So Bill Gates should pay $100 and the poor schmuck who has no job should pay 100 The poor schmuck would say, that's a burden to me. That's half my income. And it's nothing to Bill Gates. All right, so the next level would be percentage. This is a little more plausible. The percentage argument would be 10% from everyone. So the poor person who makes only 1000 a year, you know, 10% would pay what, 100, right? Gil Gates would pay more, but it's still only 10%. Now, he'd pay way more, but this is closer to the Ayn Rand view, that those who have massive assets or lots of interaction with the courts or government or whose plant and equipment, you know, would be most jeopardized and exposed in war and government national defense is legitimate. You can see how someone would say, Bill Gates paying 10% and the poor person paying 10%, they would pay different amounts in absolute terms, but there's a kind of justice associated with proportional 
taxation, sometimes called uh, flat tax. And it's it, it I like it actually. It's a it's also Aristotelian, but Ayn Rand would endorse it on the grounds that it's equal protection before the laws. Now we don't have any of this today because not only are there many, many, many taxes, but they're quote unquote graduated. They're quote unquote progressive. I hate that word. Where the wealthier pay a higher rate, not because they use the services more, but because they have an ability to pay. And that's nasty. I mean, that's just punitive. That's uh, Marxist. That's, you know, and they're being punished because the presumption is they have unearned wealth. They have unearned income, not just unearned. They got their income by exploiting and expropriating from those who have less. So the, the, the tax code today is totally worldwide, but totally premised on the, uh, on the Marxist idea that the, these are ill-gotten goods. Um, and that quite apart from the issue of, we know that government has expanded way beyond what objectivists would consider and minarchists and Nozicks, Nozickians would say are the legitimate functions of government toward what? Primarily redistributing income, not providing the infrastructure like courts, police, and military, which would permit people to create wealth, even if in unequal amounts. But the premise today is we must massively redistribute, rob Peter to pay Paul. There is the robbery. That is where taxation is theft. So let me be very clear here. I do believe taxation is theft if it's taxation by a thieving government. But Ayn Rand's point was about a fully free government, a fully free system. And she said, she said even then, uh, they should only be voluntarily financed. And that's where I differ. Well, I mean, the fact remains that good ideas don't require force. So, mm. Mm. so an entire, um, entire, entire change of culture would need to happen. You know, did... Um, did the need for services happen before you were taxed to death for them? You know, were mm. there single mothers yeah. or yeah. or elderly or all of those things? Sure, there were. You know, people took care of people. So, you know, I'm I'm a minarchist. Dan and I disagree on some of the things when it comes to taxes, but um, you know, I think a a fair tax could be at like more like a consumption yeah. tax. Yeah, and um, then you're not um, if you're poor or haven't succeeded to where you're making gazillion dollars, then you're yeah. not just handed things. So, you know, there's lots of ways to write this ship, but taxation is definitely theft. It's taken from you before you've even received it in a lot of cases, mm. depending on where you choose to live. You know, if there's an income tax, so. And Connie, let me let me Connie, let me ask you, do you think would you go so far as to say it always per se is theft, even with a fully free society? If the government in a fully free society with these limited minarchist functions, would you that's really the question here. Would you say even then the government should never mandate payment? Well, and I believe that they're 
doesn't have to be a government to regulate these things. You ah, know, okay. If you All want right. to, you want yep. to be a community, and you want to have yep. security, and you want to have, yeah, you want to have someone to um, adjudicate civil cases, whatever the case may be. Yeah, yep. you wouldn't necessarily have to to have it be a government to do those things. Um, it, but, it is. It, it is interesting, Connie, that when. Uh, people like Frank and I would, frankly, I would say me as me well. well. When um, Rand's position on the idea, and she clearly unabashedly endorses the idea, which, by the way, came from Weber. It's not unique to Ayn Rand. In 1921, Max Weber, the sociologist, famously defined a state as an institution with a monopoly on the legitimate use of force within a particular territory, unquote. Now that sounds like Ayn Rand, but it's actually a German sociologist. And I often teach Duke students, I say, now this is kind of the standard definition of what a state is. <coughs> and interestingly, every side of the spectrum endorses it. <coughs> they don't disagree. They just disagree about what the nature of the state should be. But those components are very interesting. And the key word is legitimate. And Ayn Rand would say, well, legitimate is only a government that protects individual rights, right? Others would say, the Nazis would say legitimate is, you know, exterminate the Jews. But the whole idea of territory and borders today, very interesting. But um, given that context, if you can objectively demonstrate what your legitimate, truly legitimate government is, you'd have to talk about financing. Now, she's criticized for saying monopoly. The anarchists would say, what do you mean monopoly? Why are you granting a monopoly? Which implies what? If there are any attempts to compete with this monopoly government, in Connie, Connie, in your terms, to have private security forces, to have arbitration agencies, technically, Ayn Rand would say, we get to prohibit those because they are challenging my monopoly. You can't have competing armies. You can't have competing police and courts. That was Ayn Rand's view. That is normally the minarchist view. It's the view that the anarchists will say, what are you talking about? You're prohibiting and initiating force. You claim you don't want to. You're initiating force against people who want to voluntarily provide these services. And Ayn Rand's answer would be, oh, damn right I am. Yeah, but, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. <laughs> the problem is, if that's her view, then how can she also say, by the way, it should all be voluntarily financed? Because there's so many other things. And by the way, I haven't even mentioned things like the subpoena power or serving on a jury. Uh, Ayn Rand was asked, what about the subpoena power? What about the power of the government to compel you to testify in a case where you might have? you know, important and relevant evidence. And she said, yes. She said, yes, the government can compel you to show up. Same thing with jury trial. Now, why is that weird? It's a little weird because on the one hand, she said, you shouldn't pay the government, shouldn't have to pay the government taxes to support courts, but you should show up in court. And if you don't, they'll jail you. It's very, it's very odd, it's incoherent. It's not consistent. It's a problem. And I'm, uh, believe me, a true blue objectivist who 
it, but it, who is also willing to critique Ayn Rand if it doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't know about you, Connie, but that makes no sense. I'm actually for the subpoena power. I'm for the, you must be on a jury, but at least I'm consistent with saying, yes, and you must pay taxes so you're not a freeloader. You can't get away with being a parasite and a moocher on this very wonderful system, which we're presuming to be a fully free society. And that was her context. Her context was not, should, should people pay taxes to Leviathan? I don't think they should pay taxes to Leviathan. I think they should revolt. I think she should, I think they should tell Leviathan to go fuck himself. I'm not finding so, as long as you don't go to jail. So where does it end? Anyway. Though? Do. So where does it end? And go ahead, Scott. But my point I appreciate it. We're just trying to get everyone in. Right. Everything's taxed, but a lot of people have no problem if I want to trade my eggs with my neighbor for some cucumbers. They're like, yeah, you, you shouldn't have to report and do that. But they yeah. suddenly have a problem if I want to trade a couple of cows for a new truck. <laughs> then suddenly, yeah. oh, no, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, says who? You know, yeah. it's yeah. a voluntary exchange. So I'll land with that. And Scott, I do know you want to get to some other. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank um, you, Connie. Thanks. Thanks, Connie. Well, uh, Dale, thank you for your patience. Oh, well, hello there. So um, to me, uh, you know, taxation is definitely theft. I think it's all relative. It's if it if it's affecting you. And I think that uh, we have a real problem as a country because um, so much, of, you know, we're, we're, we're on a path of, uh, you know, un, 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 unbridled uh, movement towards more and more socialism because there are so many people who do not pay. And you look at like, you know, even like, you know, under a W, uh, I think that we made like, you know, 40, 50 percent of the people not net payers of income taxes. So you've got a lot of voters out there that are just fine with expanding government. And you have and then with every program that we do create, it's always that we're, we're there. You have a lot of freeloaders. So you, you've talked about this. And to me, it's just a huge unspoken problem in this country. Well, Dale, I wanted to say, I think that's a really good point. And here's what's, here's what's di difficult and subtle about what I'm arguing. In today's context, it, which is what you're citing, taxation is theft. It's predominantly theft. Because if, if someone were to ask me, and they have asked me, what part of government spending today, which is up to like $6 trillion, what part of government spending today is actually on something an objectivist would say is a legitimate government functions. My answer is one tenth, maybe even one half a tenth of what they're spending because the rest of it is garbage. The rest of it is not only excessive, it's violating rights. So by my criteria, that is theft because you have a thieving entity financed by theft. And so I just want to distinguish that from the kind of more when Ayn Rand brought this up, remember the context. The context was, in a free society, how would you finance it? If she were asked, how would you finance it today? Well, today, in her terms, it was 1964. We were about to get, we didn't even have uh, Medicare and Medicaid yet. But Dale, you're absolutely right. Now here, apropos my theme, though, you're absolutely right that today, the numbers lay out something like this. 
the entire spending of government. What have they done? I, I said earlier, they've moved away from taxing to borrowing and printing. Because if they taxed people for this gargantuan welfare state, they'd be thrown out of office on their ass to be taxables. So these people have figured out, it's brilliant actually, in a twisted way, they have figured out that the way to finance this without being thrown out of office is to print money and borrow money. But, but Dale, even within, you know this, even within the tax wedge of the pie chart, which is now a small part of what government spent, they have made sure that only a small fraction of people pay those taxes. And so something like, what do they call them? The dastardly 1%, the fat cats. The 1% pay 25% of federal taxes. The top 10%, of income people I'm talking about, pay 43%. And here's the, here's the key for electoral success. The bottom 50%, the bottom 50% of Americans in terms of income pay 4% of federal income taxes. What does this mean? This means that during elections, when a politician says, I have a great spending program here and I'm going to tax the fat cats, they win. They win the election. So the bias is, and big why? Because the 10%, 1%, they're obviously in the minority. They're literally the exploited minority. They're in the pyramid of ability, as Ayn Rand would put it, at the top. They're clearly going to be outvoted in a system where democracy is unrestrained. And that is exactly what's happening. So, so I would put it this way. Unrestrained democracy leads to fiscal profligacy. There's like an inherent bias. You will win elections if you simultaneously promise more spending. We know what party does that. But there's another party that says, I promise tax cuts. I like the second party more than the first. But the point is, you see the math here. The math is, if there's more spending and less taxing, there's going to be a budget deficit. There's going to be borrowing. There's going to be a government that borrows the difference instead of, and then they're going to at some point turn to their pet central bank and say, could you please buy all this stuff? Could you please buy all this debt? What's called monetizing the debt engaged in what was their favorite phrase? QE, quantitative easing. It's, uh, this is not new to you, Dale. I just want to say it for the general audience. That's, that is the very disturbing public finance angle side, side of the gargantuan unsustainable welfare state. But they don't see it as unsustainable. Their view is this is brilliant. We're going to keep pushing this and, and never tax people to the point where they feel the full pinch of statism. It's very disturbing. Uh, economists call this fiscal illusion, by the way, that the general, the general public does not know they're, they're deluded. They do not quite know what the full burden of government is because if it shows up as inflation, if it, you know, too much money, they'll blame the grocer. They'll blame the gas station attendant. You know, if it shows up as higher interest rates because the government's borrowing so they'll blame the mortgage lender. What the, why are you charging me so much? See, it's brilliant because they look at the effects, not the causes. And the welfare state, you know, although fundamentally unsustainable, it does get perpetuated by unrestrained democracy. 
great answer. Thank you. Um, we've got Buddha has been waiting very patiently. Thank you, Buddha. Dale, did you have a follow-up? Well, yeah, I was just going to say that also another part of that, Richard, is the uh, the sense of entitlement that that I encounter as some as someone you know a senior citizen that yep. no nobody none of my fellow seniors have any clue that you know sixty percent of Medicare is B and D and that seventy five percent of yep. that is coming from the general revenue. They all yep. feel like they paid FICA for A yep. and therefore it's all free and that's their free stuff. <laughs> This, right. this is so bad. <laughs> right. Right. Actually, that, that alone is brilliant because everyone knows they paid in something. Right, Dale? So, right. If, you, so if you say to them, we're going to take we're going to take that away from you. It, it is a certain injustice because you did pay into something. But the thing is, a Ponzi scheme. They don't they don't tell people that. So in a way, they don't really have full title morally or fiscally to the amount but it's a brilliant whoever constructed the system this well it's, it started with uh, a long ago under uh, bismarck it's a brilliant system because the whole concept of entitlement the phrase dale title means ownership who's again who could be again what are you taking away my ownership it's brilliant there what are you taking away? I contributed to this. What do you take away? And yet it's an unsustainable Ponzi scheme. You're absolutely right. I, I, my, I noticed this in my father. When I was younger, my father would rail against Social Security as a Ponzi scheme. He was a conservative, but he was like 38 years old. Then he was 68 years old. He would say, Richard, I hate Social Security, but God damn it, I'm not going to vote against... Um, reductions in benefits because I'm, because I'm now the beneficiary. The welfare state is brilliant in that regard, creating dependence, you know, creating um, large infants who need them. It's brilliant. And of course, within, you know, that then the, for social security, the, um, the wealthy get less of a return on the taxes yeah. they pay. Yeah. They also taxes and with medicare the the wealthy which is only a very small percentage right now you know gets surcharged for their medicare um, yes yes that's probably only like five percent it's like five percent so again it's the same old game where it's you know yeah to me you know to if you're paying those taxes it's theft because you look around and everybody it else is. is a floater so it is yes and, and notice recently Biden in the State of the Union would say, hey, Republicans are trying to, like, uh, cut back on Social Security and Medicare. And the Republicans would stand up and say, no, we're not. Uh, no, we're not. No, we're welfare state. It's just like you are. It, it's so far gone now. There's no one willing. Trump said the same thing, right? When Trump ran in 2016, I'm not going to touch Social Security or Medicare. Okay, my attitude is, what are you good for? Unless you were willing to attack the welfare state. You come in, you you endorse the welfare state, and then what do you add to that? You engage in Hoover-like protectionist schemes that ruin us, and then you enable this dictator called Fauci. Uh, thanks a lot. What, what, what have you, and then you partially build a wall. Like, what's the point? What is the point of any of that? It's not helping, it's hurting, but you know that, Dale. 
Great. Thank you. Uh, and Budo? Yeah, thanks for uh, waiting for me to get my mic together. Uh, my question is um, if we don't pay taxes, how do we fund the government? And go ahead. Well, Boda, my, my argument is we should pay taxes, but only to fund legitimate government. And in my philosophy, legitimate government is roughly one-tenth of current government. So in the U.S. case, the federal government spends, last time I checked, $6 trillion. If it were legitimate, it would spend $600 billion. One-tenth of, <laughs> one of $6 trillion. And and if 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 that happened, okay, let's say not overnight. If that happened over the next ten years, people would get massive tax cuts because they wouldn't have to fund six trillion; they'd only have to fund six billion, six hundred billion. Um, by that point, the tax mix—the tax by mix, I mean—is it on property? Is it on sales? Is it on income? would um, wouldn't have to be as broad as it is now, and the tax rates themselves would be much lower. People have to realize that if you look, if you just search the internet and say, how did the government, U.S. government fund itself You know, in the early century? Totally by tariffs. That's one tax on imports. There was no income tax. There was no sales tax. There was no property. There was nothing other than that. It was a really light tax burden. Why? Because government itself was not, gargantuan so um that's the the answer roughly buddha is um of course people have to pay taxes for the existing government the question is why is the existing government so big and therefore taxation becomes burdensome punitive a whole bunch of other things but it needn't be that way under under legitimate government not anarchy where there's no government under legitimate government, it's very easy and fair and just to finance it. But every aspect of government financing today is unjust. It's punitive. It's nasty. The, the graduated income tax, if you know that what's called so-called progressive, where the more money you make, the higher the rate you pay, that has nothing to do with trying to finance government. Because the Laffer curve and others show that the higher the tax rate, the more people will evade taxes. They're not going to sit there and be, um, sh you know, shorn like sheep. They will move their income. They will work less. Anyway, um, be, these people don't care. They don't care if the burdensome tax rate makes people disincentivized to produce. Or, But it's an Atlas Shrugged type theme. When you look at Ayn Rand's um, theme in Atlas Shrugged, why do they shrug? Why do the men of the mind, the most productive, not just business people, but engineers, artists, and others, why do they say, I'm out of here? I'm not going to put up with this shit. Because they know they're morally producing values and that the government is an immoral, um, uh, promiscuous, vicious robber. And that's, that is happening in the U.S. today, where the, the U.S. government is in a rapacious trend, and they can't get the revenues. That's very revealing. They can't, they can't get 
uh, studies have shown, look up the uh, Hauser's rule. Hauser's rule is no matter what the government does, it can't get more than 20% of GDP. No matter what tax rate, no matter what regulation, no matter what loophole, they cannot extract more than something like 20% of what the American people earn of GDP. And yet they spend way more than that. So they're in a, they're stuck because they're trying to spend 30, 40, 50% of GDP, and they can only extract 20, 20 every year, year in, year out. <laughs> it's like Americans are saying, go ahead, try to get my money. Try it. Just try. I might talk a good game and I'm so, so-called, you know, socially uh, humanitarian, but I'm not paying. I'm going to call my tax attorney and, and shelter my income. Uh, it's called Hauser's Law. It's very interesting. Well, uh, this is a great topic, Richard. Great discussion. Um, you know, we're going to do this again. Jimmy, I'm sorry we didn't have time to get to your question. But uh, with David Kelly, we're hopefully going to do this topic again and even maybe good. get into a more direct ANCAP debate. But um, Yeah, good. Coming up uh, next week, Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, we have Rob Trzinski talking about art and aesthetics. And then Thursday, the 18th, Richard is back here on Clubhouse at 6 p.m. Eastern with an Ask Me Anything. So uh, we can get into those topics as well. Uh, we've got all our scholars in Nashville, July 27th through 29th, including James O'Keefe as our keynote speaker. Should be a great time in Nashville. Hope you can join us there at any of our events. Uh, Take care, and we'll see you all next week. Scott, thank you. Dan, Dale, Buddha, Connie, thank you so much. All of you, thank you. Thank you.